the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, I'm Eric Galindo, Training Director for the FSI Training School. For individuals and businesses, we offer certification courses in CPR and first aid through the American Heart Association. And also the Vehicle Safety Inspector course for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Courses are available every week for your convenience. Call me, Eric, at 210-314-2615. That's 210-314-2615. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So we will ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. here folks thanking you as always for joining us here on the sunday evening i hope you're having a great labor day weekend this is um jacob is here with me jacob you know what i was remembering today as i was that uh, there was a radio show tonight perhaps <laughs> i did remember the radio show believe it or not we kind of i've grown accustomed to it right uh-huh, uh-huh. well no i was coming out of our of our bible studies that we have for at lackland with all uh-huh. the basic trainees and all uh-huh. just a great uh-huh. morning tired and it occurred to me labor day weekend this is when i was usually uh i was usually putting on my rigging and uh and uh Riding bulls and Bronx on Labor Day weekend. That's the, that's when we uh, have the championship time. We uh, we rodeo all summer long up in West Texas, up in Amarillo. Riding, I rode bulls and Bronx and did a lot of trick riding and clowning and that sort of thing uh, with the rodeo. And then on on uh, would rodeo all summer long. And then if you made the finals, if you made it to the championship, you we had the championships on Labor Day weekend. I always remember that. And, uh, of course, right now a lot of the Boys Ranch alumni are gathering and meeting up there in Amarillo. Oh, you're uh, not going to go? But I remember – no, I, I, I've already missed it. it. It's over – well, I guess it'll be tomorrow. It, they'll be finishing up. Well, you could drive tonight. Oh, I probably won't make it <laughs> this year. But anyway, I, I was remembering that, well, usually on this day I was saddling up. I was uh, pulling the rigging on a bull or – or, uh, you, you know, know actually, that's quite impressive uh, that that you actually used to ride bulls and <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. That is very impressive. Well, it it is a little, but on the other hand, it's a little depressing. Well, what I feel good about is that I, I can still, uh, you know, I had I got two concussions uh, riding. I had another one later with boating and fishing, but uh, I can make anything dangerous, I suppose. But uh, 
I fell off two bulls and it hit my head on on the big post. You know that uh, the arena is set up with a big post and it has cables, uh, steel cable running through them. And I uh, twice I hit my head on the post coming off of a bull, and uh, that was um, that's the only two incidents really. I boy rodeo is such a crazy thing. I, I've had friends that had a horn. One friend of mine had a horn down his throat. Um, uh, others, another fellow tried to get off of a bronc instead of waiting on the pickup man. They were having trouble getting beside him. He tried to get off, and this was in a, an arena that had a wooden fence. Tried to get off on the wooden fence, and it. It drove a, a wooden splinter through his the four fingers of his left hand. I, I mean, ooh, that was that was terrible to be. We all saw him starting to look at the fence. We don't do it, don't do it. And he and he tried to get off his bronc. You know, he's running alongside the fence on the on the fence, and it and it just he his hand ran down the rail, and a splinter went through all through his hand. Anyway, rodeo can be kind of crazy, uh, whether you're clowning or bull riding, particularly I guess the bull riding. But anyway, that's what I thought about, Jacob. On Labor Day weekend, you know, I, I remembered how crazy I was at one time in my younger years. Was it after you hit your head, got two concussions, that you decided to become a preacher? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. No, no. I guess I was already in the. Uh, I was already in the bag. I think God had His hand on me, and I was. I already. Everybody else seemed to know what I was going to do. Nobody seemed to be surprised when Soapy Dollar decided to, uh, I, I worked my way through college. I worked at a, a wholesale company back before the era of, com, of computers. And I had a great time working and very successful and, and, and loved it. But I uh, graduated. I have a degree in mathematics. And as I was finishing up, I just realized that I was going to be a mathematician. You know, my, ah. my counselor already told me, Dollar, you can do math, but you're not a mathematician. You know? nice. So he had already recognized it. And I'd already been uh, sharing my faith with about, you know, everybody in the company, uh, from the truck drivers to the people in finance and all that in the, in the uh, administrative offices. So I was already kind of evangelizing the whole company anyway. So when I told the boss that I was going to go into ministry, he said, well, I hate to see it, but we all knew. We all knew it was going to happen. My, I guess my life hadn't been really a surprise to, uh, to the folks that knew me. I guess I've been doing more or less the same thing for all these years. A uh, l- little bit boring from one point of view, but I've enjoyed it. It's a great, great ride. Anyway, Jacob, I didn't mean to start that way, but I remember this morning thinking about the fact that, wow, Labor Day weekend, That's I used to be. I used to be getting ready for uh, to ride a bull or bronc you know, on Labor Day weekend. I, I had butterflies in my stomach, and, and um, you know it was a whole different life. It seems like a lifetime ago. In other words, people used to say to you, "Hey, what's that buzzing around your head?" <laughs> exactly. Right. Hey, do you when you look back on your life, uh, like, do you think of it kind of as sometimes when I think back, it's not like I'm ancient or anything, uh-huh, uh-huh. but they have been such major changes and shifts of 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 life you know the way i lived and so on a a lifestyle and all that it's almost like three or four lifetimes a different oh that was back in the another lifetime when i was this or that you know rodeo is one of those you know you i remember it still i remember the sensations i remember some of the some of the rides are very very short in my memory (laughs) (laughs) some of them yeah some of them were but some of the more memorable rides, you know, like a championship ride or something, I can still kind of remember at times what it was like coming out of the chute and how what the bull did and what the bronc did and all. Um, uh, 
I can remember one time I rode a big old black bronc, a big black mare. Uh, I think she, it was, she was called Blackie, I think, or something like that. Big, wide, you know, strong. And as soon as I came out of the chute, my hand came, it kind of ripped my hand. And I, I made the entire ride with one finger <laughs> on, on the, uh, if you see, if you know a bareback bronc rigging. I had one finger hooked through the rigging, and that was all. I, I made the whole ride with one finger. Um, just one of those things you remember. It was a strange, a strange uh, sensation. But anyway, do you think back on your life it, it like that way as well? Like, well, that was that was back when when I was you know young, and I you know I had this whole deal. I, I you know, I mean you went to law school and all that sort of I thing. I did. Oh, okay. I'm guessing you did. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I hope. Yeah, well. Do you, do, do you think of life sometime that way, or do you ever think back to the early years? Uh, you know, it's so interesting you say that, because I have found, as you go through different periods, that when you think about even the good times, they're eradicated by knowing what follows as being a bad time. Oh, really? And uh, and then you can always say, well, there are good times and bad times. But how it ends really controls how, at least I think, about the events in the past. Are some of the things that you would call bad times in your mind, is there another way you can look at them and think, well, you know, actually there was bad, but it turned out for good. It, it God used it redemptively uh, in my life, yeah. and, and I can now look on it and say, well, that that really taught me a lesson and changed me in a very... Mm-hmm. The end result was it made a kind of a positive, uh, uh, although it was bad and un, un, uh, unpleasant at the time, or, or downright miserable, <laughs> it still turned out for good. Do you ever look at them that way, or is that... Well, um, I, I, I never had... It, I'll be honest, I've just been so blessed, I've never really had a bad time. Well, I tend to think of people I know, for example, and you you met Bill, the the Holocaust survivor, and what amazes me is him and people like him that uh, Hmm. are able to even have one time where they can sit and enjoy something, have a good meal, laugh with people. It surprises me that they're able to do that with the horror that they have been through. And then when I hear see that, and the real horror that other human beings have been through, and then I get so, uh, I don't know what the word is, frustrated with people who are worried about their feelings being hurt. <laughs> and, and I, yeah. I, and, but I sit and I look at that and I think, you know, it's amazing that people are able to recover. And, True. Uh, and I have found human beings are so resilient, I guess, in general, uh, especially children, I guess, when we're younger. Well, there's a line in the book, not not the book, but a book. Uh-huh. And it's called The Tree Girls in Brooklyn is the name of the book. And uh, it's the I first, remember that. Uh-huh, they made a movie. Out movie. Of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the, ver- the first paragraph begins like this. And this line is stuck with me all my life. It says people who are treated incredibly cruel either become incredibly cruel or incredibly kind. Hmm. And I thought, what a revelation of truth. And, of course, the last line in that paragraph is, and a tree grows in Brooklyn, (laughs) which you can poetically put together if you so choose. But when I read that line, that's one of the lines I have come to see that uh, 
Kind people have horror in their lives. Very bitter people have horror in their lives. And I found that line to be so true. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, wow. <laughs> Pretty profound, Jacob. Uh, you've you've uh, come up with a, a great perspective there. And, and I guess I think of it because we've been talking about uh, here on the Bible Live radio program. We we really have been, you know, we talk about the Bible week to week, week to week. We have a reading plan that we encourage you to follow with us. We've been doing this for about 15 years, reading through the entire Bible every year. And our reading this past week. And every year we get a new version. (laughs) Well, every year about this time, we're reading the book of Jeremiah. And we've read chapters 14 through 31. That was our reading schedule for this week. And Jeremiah was a guy who... Somebody didn't give somebody a list, though, so somebody didn't know. So somebody actually prepared beyond that. I'm not saying who. I'm not pointing any fingers. No, I I have one now for next week. But for this week, somebody didn't give somebody the list. But I'm not... I am not pointing fingers. Well, I'm glad you're not going to point fingers, but... uh, but you told me earlier that you had some real interesting thoughts ah, about Jeremiah. Ah, thank you so much. Since I was on my own, what I started to do is I have come up with some, I think, extraordinary things that we can discuss from the book of Jeremiah. That's in the Bible, you know. And and I, I shared something with you. There were many, many, many prophets, and you've read this before, there were many prophets in Israel. But... All their books that they wrote are not included in the Bible. And the Jewish answer to that is this, is because they had, uh, John just slipped me a note about a bullfrog. At any rate, the reason is because the reason it was decided by the sages and the old guys that knew a lot of stuff is that they said those prophets have been 100% prophecies, have been 100% fulfilled. However, books like Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they have concluded... And the other, Malachi, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Exactly. The ones that are there are the ones that have not been 100% fulfilled. That's why they're still there. I, I don't know why... Now that I hear it again, as we were talking before the program, I do, I do now, I do recollect vaguely that I might have heard that before. Mm-hmm. But in all the studies and all the you know the classes and so on, I I could not remember ever having heard that before. But now, just now, it kind of all of a sudden resonates a little bit. So. And I was asking you, when was the canon, that was a word I couldn't remember before. Oh, canon. When was the canon finalized for the Tanakh? In other words, when was it finally to the books that we have today? You said in the 1800s, somewhere uh, in the original King James, uh, some of those... uh, Actually, if I might say, the uh British Bible Society and another group got together in 1885. And, <clears throat> pardon me, up until then, for approximately, I don't know what, close to 1800, we'll round it off, 2,000 uh-huh. years, all the books of the Bible were there. But in that year in Britain, they decided what we call the Deuterocanicals, the Apocrypha, was taken out. Actually, so when people say, and I'm not taking a dog in this fight, I don't have a sign. Right, uh-huh. But when they say the Catholics 
added those books? That is not true. They were always there. In the 1880s, the Protestants took them out. Now, we're talking about, like, we're talking about Esdras. Uh, sure. If I remember, we're talking sure. about First and Second Maccabees? Yeah, there's seven, but who's counting? Uh, there's seven of them, huh? <laughs> and they are... And they are books I've 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 read at uh, them. Yeah. I can't recall. Also, every... I will tell you this: there were three more chapters that were in those so-called apocrypha books mm-hmm. that are individually labeled, which are the last three chapters of the book of Daniel. Whoa, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I know it is. The last three yes, chapters. Yes. Uh-huh. Now, and it's called Bell and the Dragon and two, a couple other books, but that's the names you've learned them by. Perhaps uh-huh. you've learned them by. Anyway, but so what I'm saying is all those books are there. Now, right or wrong, they were there. And for nothing, just for historical purposes, it's good to know those books. Uh-huh. Like in the Maccabees, uh, there's a terrible story. And I always get myself in a little bit of a jam with this, but I'm going to say it because I, I really sincerely believe it. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it would be hard to sit and watch your seven children killed in front of you. And and in the book of Maccabees, there's a, a woman. five maybe, but seven would be intolerable. Sure. I well, I understand. I understand exactly what you're saying. Sure. Um, but the point is, they start with the oldest, and they do horrible things. They cut off their hands, their feet, their tongue. They throw them in a frying mm-hmm. pan, fry them right up. Mm-hmm. Well, and they work all the way down to the youngest. And Eve, the mother even tells the youngest, who's about twelve or thirteen, "Hang on to your God, etc." Well, they kill him. But I always thought that that had to be a special, different kind of pain than even somebody dying on the cross. If somebody said to me, and I know that's when people say, oh, no, because I was actually in a in a Catholic Bible study one time because I attend a lot of different yeah, things. And, and one of the uh, one of the deacons, a guy named O'Brien, of all things, said, well, you know, this. He suffered. You know, nice Hispanic fellow, I guess. Yeah, he said. Uh, he said, "Well, he suffered more pain than anybody." And I said, "Well, I don't understand, because to me, the mother watching her children is a special kind of pain." And I, to me, I'm not saying I'm right, but I mean, to me, in my view, I, I any decent parent would say, "No, don't kill my child. Kill me." Oh, sure, of course. I, you know, so, you think of Mary having to watch her ch- yeah, son die. It's that same type of thing. Suffering, sure. oh boy, there's no doubt so, about it. That now, I don't know Jesus how we got suffering in itself was not unique. I mean, I, there were thousands yeah. of people hung on crosses. But so all that. those things are going on. And, like, and since we mentioned the book of Daniel, in the book of Daniel, and I'll just flip to it, this is one of the interesting things that I was going to mention about tonight and talk. And you're a good mathematician, aren't you? <laughs> I'm being set up, John. I can, th- that's just too easy to yeah. see. Okay, I'm a good man. When I say good, I'm talking about morals, not about a math ability. I can, I'm you're a, a good I'm moral a good, guy a, and a mathematician. I'm no, a good no, arithmetician good nowadays. I, I've right. seen, I, I've, I don't know who it was. One t- I guess one of my kids, Not. I don't know how long ago it was, but I looked at their math book when they were in college and yeah. all of a sudden I realized I don't understand that stuff anymore. I used to look at those differential equations and all that sort of thing and just read them like, you know, yeah. reading English, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I would look at that page and I go, I, I have no clue what this is. Isn't so I'm an arithmetician. I can yeah. still do arithmetic. Okay, okay. Well, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I, I'm, I'm reasonably good. I'm not probably as good as you were or, or are. But uh, like when one of my kids were taking uh, algebra, I had forgotten so much, so much algebra, I went down and paid the teacher and met with 
with her two or three times a week. So she would tutor you. <laughs> it tutored me to get acquainted with algebra again. So in the evenings, I could work with one of my children uh, on algebra. Now that is fatherhood. That is commitment right there. Well, that's that's, that's what a parent's supposed to do. Yeah, I I guess so. Anyway, but uh, anyway, but what I'm going to say is Daniel, the book of Daniel, right? Yes. Uh-huh. We're not in the book of Daniel We're tonight. We're not. But okay. But I'm talking about Jeremiah. Oh, oh, you meant Jeremiah? No, I meant Daniel. Oh. But but in Jeremiah <laughs> first. Yeah. Is it Daniel or Jeremiah we're talking? Okay, you're talking about Daniel now. Okay. Daniel reads and quotes the book of Jeremiah. Ah, that's where we hit it. Okay. And what he says in the first time is in chapter 9, verse 2. Mm-hmm. 9, verse 2. He says he says, I'm reading the book of Jeremiah, and it says, hey, our captivity is coming to an end after 70 years. Right? Yes. All right. Now, and then in, uh, and I'm going to apologize to you right up front. What chapter of Daniel was that? Uh, that was 9-2. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. And it comes up again, believe it or not, in 9-24. But uh-huh. 9-2 is the primary one. But in Jeremiah chapter 29, he says this. And that's and I'm going to apologize. I forgot my glasses, so I've got to wing it. All right. So we may have many different words and verses in the Bible than we've ever heard before tonight. <laughs> At any rate, but let me, and uh, let me just do this. Uh, Twenty nine. Uh, boy, oh boy. It's uh, looks. I think it's verse ten. I haven't got my glasses. You talking about Jeremiah? I am. I've got it. Okay, I read it. Uh, Jeremiah chapter twenty nine. You think it's verse ten? I think. Let me just, I get this one page to turn here, and I'll do it. Mm-hmm. 29.10, I like to back up a little bit, but it says, This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, said the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Ah, now the hit, Daniel... And 9-2 is reading Jeremiah. And from Jeremiah, it's not really a prophecy. It says, during the first year of his reign, talking about Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became the king of Babylon. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet Uh that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. Okay, now... Let's visit this for just a moment. You're going to love where I'm going to go, I think. Okay. Okay. So he's reading the book of Jeremiah. So he's getting something out of this, right? Seventy years. Why 70 years? Why is that punishment 70 years? Uh, Because that was the time to make up for all the years of a jubilee uh, or the Sabbath that the... the Israelites had uh-huh. not... Shemitah. Is that right? Yes. Am I in the ballpark? You were in the ballpark. Well, you explain it better. No, I'm no, you, sure you got the theory. Go ahead, go ahead. You got just it, Shemitah. It all the Sabbaths and, or, or all the Jubilees uh, that they had not uh, observed right, right. as they were supposed to, uh-huh. now uh, they had not to let the land rest or something. Right, right. And that's God it. You didn't let the land rest, etc. And how often does that occur? Every seven years? You got it. Now... So every ten times that they didn't do it. Oh, okay. Well, hold on now. Or something. Okay. Now. Is that if, math? Is that good enough for you? Seven it times. It was until you continued. <laughs> um, but so it's seven. It's actually so he, they had to make up for each shemitah year they missed. Okay. All right. 
and they had missed 70. And how often do they occur? Every seven years. Aha! So there was a prescribed restitution, seven times 70. How many is that? 490. You got it. And Jesus, oh, oh hold on, hold on, it. hold I'm on, seeing. hold on. Okay. I know, because we talked about it. We talked about it. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I know. I know. We talked about this before we came in. Okay. Now, Jesus, when they, somebody says to him, how often should I forgive? And he says, seven times 70. I was going to say seven times 70. I know you were. And how much does that come out? This will be your 490. 490. He, and I know in all the Christian literature, and I'm not picking a fight about it, but I'm just saying, in all the Christian literature, it's saying, oh, that just means unlimited forgiveness. It does not. No. He's referring to what Dan is referring to and what it says here in Jeremiah. It's, it occurs every seven years, and they miss 70. And how many years is that? It's 490. So Jesus is telling them, look, there is a restitution to be made for the wrong you did. And so, seven times 70, he's referring to the years that they had missed God's commandments about the land, and they were in Babylon for 70 years making up those 70 Meshemites, and we're going to go to a break, aren't we? We are. We're coming up on our first break of the by, evening. By the way, that's in Matthew 18, 21. That is so interesting. I, I'll ha- I have a question or so about it as to really uh yes i understand what what did his disciples understand did they understand that when jesus said it and and, and how many times then does that mean we should forgive someone oh, uh, we'll I, come back a, and talk about that it's a deeper question than that in, in, when we get back from our break if you would like to join us and talk a little bit about this or another topic uh, the, on your mind, a question you have about the I hope the we don't interfere with that football game that's on tonight. A question you have about the Bible or, or about this whole idea of a relationship with God, we'd love to visit with you. 340-9585. That's our phone number, so don't go away. With all my heart. I want you to meet my friends at the Laptop Specialist. Pioneers since 1982 in serving the military, business, and personal computing needs of our city. Our ministry depends a lot on our computers. And whether it's repairs, service, upgrades, or even the purchase of a new machine, the James family and their great staff keep our equipment working, freeing us to do what we're called to do. Go to thelaptopspecialist.net or call 344-4563. 344-4563 for their two locations. The Laptop Specialist. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the dollar family that Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to drshelton.com or call 590-7878. Well, Elizabeth and I went to Lux Rest Lube, and our experience was fabulous. We got in and out of there in literally 20 minutes. When we went to work and we had got our oil done before, it could take us two hours. The service was very friendly. You can really trust them. They were super courteous. They vacuumed out the entire front of the car, which was surprising. I didn't expect nice. they receive that kind of service. And their name is their game. Express Lube is accurate for the name of their store. And with 23 stores, there's an Express Lube near you. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning processes? 
Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. If you're new to San Antonio and want to find a church that fits your needs or just want to learn more about a church in the area, go to the church directory page at kslr.com. That's kslr.com. We are back uh, thanking you for joining us. We are talking about Jeremiah, and somehow we slipped into, if you'd like to give us a call, 340-9585, somehow we slipped into this passage where Daniel quotes Jeremiah, and he quotes about this uh, prophecy that Jeremiah had made that, is, that, was it Israel? I guess Israel or Judah. It uh, is was, Israel. They would be taken into bondage, into exile in Babylon for exactly a period of 70 years. And we saw that that was related to the times that they had not uh, observed the Shemitah. Yes. uh Uh, uh, The year of Jubilee. You you were right on the money, by the way. Not allowing. Letting the land rest. rest. That's a commandment of God. Uh, And and then, uh, Jacob, uh, uh, this is something I'd, this is why I think, folks, we really need the insight and the experience and the, uh, and the study, in fact, of, uh, of the Jewish perspective, the Hebrew perspective of the scriptures, because we, uh, we Gentiles, particularly we modern Gentiles, we don't know the Hebrew scriptures as well as we should. We don't know the Tanakh, the Old Testament, because so much of the New Testament, I mean, all of the New Testament, is built on the foundation of the old, the uh, the older, the Tanakh, the older, the 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 uh, the scriptures before the coming of Messiah. And if we don't know that language, that culture, that uh, the traditions, we're not going to get because the men who wrote men who wrote the New Testament, Paul, Peter, uh, Matthew, the, they wrote from that he, Jewish Hebrew perspective based on the scriptures, John. And we need to know that language. We know we need to know that that background and have that perspective. Now, remember when they asked Jesus, "How many times should we forgive someone?" and he said, "70 times seven. And I have never, in all these years, now I, I have to confess that probably I have, but under your tutelage over the last fifteen years as we've been doing the program, I bet I have been told this before, and, and I just it slipped my mind t- tonight, but. I'll go ahead and say, it. you know, rarely have I thought and real made the connection between Jesus saying 70 times 7 and the fact that the people of Israel spent 70 years uh, in exile. 70, was it? 70 years. Okay. Making up for 70 messed Shemitahs. Okay. So then there's the idea of 70 times 7. Uh, and because a Shemitah occurs every 
Seven years. Seven years. Yeah. So I, I guess uh, I, and that's it what, makes sense yeah, to me, yeah, Jacob. Yeah. Jesus' answer there, what you're saying is he was re- referring to this number, to this this years of judgment and exile that they they experienced. And that makes really good sense to me because if not, on what basis, you know, I've heard a lot of teaching on why did he say 70 times 7? I'm going to suggest. A lot of people say because yeah. seven's a perfect number. Yeah, I know. Blah, you know the things but like I'm going to suggest Jesus could understood and could speak Hebrew. Oh, I bet. I'm so. going to guess. I bet. Okay. And, of course, I mean. The it t- makes sense to me that he had this yeah. in mind. And so <clears throat> if he wanted to say. Hey, there is no limit. Keep forgiving. That would be uh, the word olam. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see, tikkun olam. Uh, just keep forgiving. It's repairing it. It's okay. But he chose these numbers. These numbers are very clear from Daniel and very clear in Jeremiah, which we're looking at tonight. Uh-huh. So, 70 and it, times And seven. it was teaching this lesson, if I may. So what did his disciples take away from that conversation? Because well, their question to him was very specific. Right. How many times should we forgive someone? Uh-huh. Well, the way I approach this, and I approach it probably different because I didn't have the you know the background. Because we all come at things from our own uh, polemic, you might say, mm-hmm. our own teachings. And so I probably didn't have the same type. One of, of those lifetimes back in your when you were growing up, one, your yeah. past experiences. There okay. You go. So I I always look at it and say, well, let's see if they did understand. Because the next verse, they say, what in the world do you mean by that, Jesus? They did not ask him, so they got it. That was in Matthew what? 18. Okay. Let's see if I'm right. Yes, 18, yes. Uh, 21, 22. But I notice they don't seem to ask him, what's that mean? So I've noticed that they, in my take on that, this is my take. They evidently got it. They understood, I think. Because it's not an uncommon thing. No, not to the Jewish, uh, I wouldn't think, to the Jewish mentality or understanding. They probably, as soon as the numbers were and said, they realized. And even Daniel knew of the 70 years, and he says, I was reading Jeremiah, and this has happened. Now, we understand from the Jewish take that the reason these books of prophecy are still included in the Bible is because there's something that has not been fulfilled in each one of these books. So if it's not been fulfilled, if the Jews are right about that, and there are many other prophets and many other books that are not included in the Bible, Christian or Jewish at this time, because what you call the Old Testament, by the way, is identical to the Bible the Jews use today. So the Christian Jewish Bible, same Bible. Of course, they don't. the Jews do not have the New Testament, okay? But they got that. So when I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, well, I think he's referring to the punishment. Now, what is the lesson that I understand, and it's been explained to me and taught to me, that I should draw from this? You mean from what Jesus said? Uh, Really from what Jeremiah is saying. Okay, well, you know, I've asked the question, because... In Matthew there, chapter 18, Peter came to Jesus Uh and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. And it's Jesus who said, not seven times, but 70 times seven. There you go. Which is the magic number that probably we don't have any uh, record, like you said, of the disciples going, what in the world does he mean, 70 times seven, you know? Evidently, they they got it. They understood it. It seems to be a clear record. When I go through the four Gospels, and I have... And I go through them. I especially look for somebody that doesn't seem to understand. Uh-huh. And I don't. And I once or twice, you'll find somebody saying, 
explain to this what what does this mean but they most of the time they seem to get it uh-huh so the question i i guess i have and maybe you want to answer i, I don't know what question you were set to answer but i'm thinking okay if uh-huh. that is true uh-huh. <clears throat> and the and the disciples got it you yes. know jesus answered 70 assuming they, they did. saw the reference yeah. to the he, uh-huh. to the sure. old to he, jeremiah uh-huh. and to daniel and they they made sense of what he said 70 times 7 now Jesus, on the heels of that, immediately begins to tell him a story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. Ah. In the process, one of his debtors who was brought to him who owed him a million dollars, millions of dollars, it says. Uh, He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released the man and forgave his debt. Then this guy who just had his debt forgiven, he went to another servant, someone he knew, who owed him a few thousand dollars, and he grabbed that man by the throat and demanded instant payment of those few thousand. The fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time, mercy, be patient with me, and I'll pay it. But this this creditor wouldn't wait, and he had the man thrown uh, uh, into arrested and thrown into prison until the debt could be filled. So then, some other servants saw this, and they were very upset because you know this guy had been forgiven his millions, but he went out and had this other fellow who owed him a few thousand dollars arrested, and they went and told the king everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man who had forgiven whom he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, that's the story. That's the little parable that Jesus tells after his quote about forgiving 70 times 7. Okay, but I think... Does that, that do harmonize you, with what you're well, thinking it does, Jesus meant? It does in my mind. Uh-huh. But my question is, do you get it? I doubt it. <laughs> well, okay, but my point no, is... I, I think I get it. Well, at let's, least let's go back. At least superficially I get it. Okay, well, let's go back. And I, let's say I'm not right. But for the purposes of entertainment, let's say that I might be right. Okay? Uh-huh. And I'm going to do the best to apply from what I understand okay. and what I've been taught and what I've learned. In Jeremiah, and when it says, uh, the 70 messimedias, what is the lesson? And Daniel's reading that now. So we've got an application of a guy actually reading it. And he understands, oh, wow, for each wrong we've done to the land. Oh, yeah, back to Daniel. Daniel okay. was reading Jeremiah, so, and he saw that. Okay. So what lesson am I getting from that? What uh-huh. I've been taught, what I understand, which at this point in my mind I believe and accept. Uh-huh. The lesson I'm getting, because I think it's important to understand this before we go to the story of Jesus, Jesus and okay. Matthew, because I don't think you can get it if you don't get this. Okay. This is my thought. So Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, uh-huh. he reflects so back he's on reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah, and he says, hey, the time is up. We get to go home now. Now, why is it 70? Because there were 70 Shemitahs, or then that's once every seven years. So there were 70 wrongs. Okay. There had to be 70 rights to correct it. So while they were gone, the land rested 
for 70 Shemitahs. You see, they got the land got what God said was a commandment. Mm-hmm. So now, and the tra- what that means is, what I'm drawing out of it, what's shared generally is this idea that there is a recompense for each wrong. Now, but punishment is puni- fits. The punishment fits the crime. In other words, as the guy who wrote uh, Gulliver's Travels said, a punishment so sublime as to fit the crime. So what he's saying is, it's not eternal punishment for a transitory wrong. It's a fixed point to correct that wrong. And once you've corrected that one, if it's one, it's one. If it's two, it's two. If it's 70, it's 70. So if that's what this story is teaching us, now, if you like, we can use that application if we're correct. I think that's correct, what he's referring to and Jesus is referring to in Matthew. And he's saying, how often should I forgive? And he says, look, every time you forgive, it's because the guy has made a sincere recompense of the wrong he did. So if he makes the recompense seven times 70, because every seven years is when it occurred, and you do it 70 times. Now, if that's what that means, then we have the idea for each wrong, you must correct it. It's all right. Now, I want to stress so I don't get crosswise with some uh, religious thought here. Some rabbi friends? No, I'm talking about Christians. <laughs> oh, okay. You're not worried about getting cross uh, with... Uh, you're, oh, you're, I, get, I get cross with them all the you're time. You're pretty much within yeah. uh, Jewish orthodoxy, yeah, right? That's, with okay, this? that's okay. Yeah, yeah part, I told you, th- uh, three Jews, six opinions. Yeah, know? okay. Okay, but here's the idea. So here's So if this is what Jesus is doing, if that is the understanding that we are taught... For the wrong, there must be a correction. Okay? Now, I could give you some other examples, but I don't want to take you down a bunny trail. But okay, how does that relate to the story I just uh-huh. read, this, this parable? Exactly. So now we switch over to Jesus. And then he starts going into this story about there was a king. And what did he do? He forgave. He forgave. And guy. what was the guy doing? He, he owed was, him money. He owed him money. A big debt. Yeah. Ah. And he's taking the story. He's actually, I'm going to suggest, I do think I'm correct. Uh He's talking about Pontius Pilate. Oh. And he's taking this application of correcting wrongs. And he's talking about there was this king and he owed him some money because most of the Jews that made any money at all at that time in Israel, they were apostate Jews or they had sold out to the Romans. They were in cahoots with the Romans. They were in cahoots. Good word, good word. And so... And they owed money. But they were taking a little vicarish, a little bit for themselves, mm-hmm. maybe a little too much for themselves. So they owed money, and they got caught. So the king said, okay, well, you did this. And the guy says, no, no, let me make it up. So what's he going to do? He's going to try to correct his wrongs. But when he tries to correct his wrongs, he's not showing mercy. He's not showing the same type of latitude that the Let's king say, had with the, him. The Pontius Pilate, or the king had with him. Uh-huh. When I translate the word king many times, I've discovered, I, this is my reading of okay. it. Nobody has to agree with me, but they should if they want to be right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. But, um, the, all, listen, all joking aside, is when I use the word king many times, it, they're referring to guys like Pontius Pilate. Okay. And so, and I will tell you this, in the history and the Jewish history, the stories that you read that occur in the New Testament, those same stories occur both in Roman and Jewish history. And when you read them, you say, oh, my goodness, that's what he's talking about. So when Jesus is talking about this, he's applying to the person, present circumstances. Okay. 
Let's say Herod. Okay. okay. Uh, who? King Herod, you said? Uh, no, I oh, believe, Pontius Pilate. Uh, I believe yeah. that would be Pilate. Yeah. Okay, sorry, sorry, um, sorry. Anyway, because he said a king. Yeah. Um, so he's, when he's giving the illustration that he has to make recompense, and as he's making recompense, he's not passing on that same opportunity to make recompense to the people down the line. Uh-huh. He's being harsh to them. Uh-huh. So if you've been forgiven by God forgiving you, this like in ba- from Babylon, one wrong, one correction, then you don't you pass that down to the others under you, and but everybody the guy is mean to down the line, he doesn't seem to be passing it down. Because see, I uh, for example, if I can make a concrete example, oh, okay, if if you uh, steal a hundred dollars from me, I say to you, Soapy, you owe me a hundred dollars plus a hundred. Do to yourself what you did to me. Uh-huh. And you got the money, so you give me the 200 okay. Now, you want to make this up somewhere, so you go over to, say, to John. And he owes me $20. Let's say 20 And you, instead of you giving him the chance of saying 20 you actually should pay me 40 because you stole it from me. Uh-huh. You come in and treat him harshly and cruelly. So you are not doing the mitzvah or the laws of God that you were taught to do by how God treated you. And that is what I'm drawing okay. from the story. Okay, so as a result of that, in the story, yeah. the angry king throws that person into prison. Right. It says to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. Yes. And then the, and then Jesus gives, evidently, we have here in the New Testament, this summary statement. He says, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to ah, forgive your brothers and sisters you from see? your heart. He's tying back so in. This is a, you have learned how to treat your fellow human being by how God taught you by his laws. It's a one wrong to correct, I mean, sorry, one right to correct the wrong you've done. Seventy for seventy. Babylon, Daniel, uh-huh. same idea. Now, this is the theme. And I want to stress, I started to say a minute ago, I want to stress so I don't get in any kind of religious conflict. Okay. This is a physical idea. It's uh-huh, not. Sure. I get it. I understand, but I don't want somebody to call me up or send me emails or send emails to say, say oh, no, no, uh, that's all spiritual stuff. I'm not talking spiritual. Yeah. I'm talking about God's laws, how to live on this world, treat your fellow human beings. This is a physical Well, law. actually, that's what Peter was asking here. Right. Is a physical. I think exactly. Peter was really asking yes. a, a real question: How right. many sh- times should we sure. forgive someone? Yes. And God gave them. And, and God gave, gave them for each wrong they did. As that example, seven times seventy. But what he's saying is, is, as I understand it, look, you've been taught because Jesus even adds the line you just added. He says, "If you don't, then your Father in heaven will treat you the same way." Right. Yeah. So see, the idea is, is that for the Jews, God's law is holy because it's from God. Sure. And for the Torah is as holy to the Jews as Jesus is to the Christian, Mm -hmm. because Jesus came from in the Christian understanding directly from God or or he is God. Well, in a very real sense, the Torah also is directly from God. Therefore, yeah. they are holy also. Uh-huh, of course. And But they're how to live this life. I don't find that reprehensible. I know, or even, I, I know you don't. It but, sounds, but I know you I don't. I think Christians love God's yeah. word and believe it comes from God. Yeah. And it's holy. Well, it's sure. called the Holy Bible. But the, but the <laughs> point is, no matter what it's called, 
I have to be very careful to be understood. Sure, I understand. Because if I'm not careful to be understood, somebody will inevitably misunderstand me. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, this is how to live by God, as Jews understand it, how to treat our fellow human beings, and even animals. All these things are kindness, love. In fact, remember when God's in Deuteronomy? God's not a crusty old so-and-so. He said, Moses says to Israel and Deuteronomy, he says, do you know why God chose you? Not because you're the biggest, the smartest, the brightest, the most powerful, yeah. or the largest. He chose you because... He loves you. That's what he says. Exactly. And so he's giving laws on how to love from God to a human being. And your job is to learn from God how to treat other human beings. In other words, uh, we've slipped here tonight from the book of Jeremiah. I'm on point. No, we're on point. No, no, no. We're we're on point. This is from our readings in Jeremiah. But we've, we've taken this. This major event from Jeremiah, this prediction of these 70 years, we've understand them now that they were in response for the uh, the uh, Shemitahs that the people of Israel had not obeyed God. And now God was, in a sense, forcing them mm-hmm. to uh, obey his law, his command that the, year, the, the land would be able to rest mm-hmm. for 70, for 70 land years. rest for exactly. 70 Shemitahs. Yeah, because they did not let a rest for. Okay. 70. And we saw that uh, we saw Daniel reflecting on that in, in his book, Daniel, chapter nine. And then that moved us forward to Jesus using those same numbers uh, in his answer to Peter in Matthew chapter. Was it 19? 18? Yeah, 18. 18. Yeah. So. And it's about forgiveness, in other words. This is, and, and that's the, the, the question that Peter asks of forgiveness. How many times should we forgive? Now, this is not the first time or the only time that Jesus makes a connection between our ability to experience God's forgiveness and our willingness to forgive others. Mm-hmm. And I, and sometimes it says if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven, and so on. It says that in what's called the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. Yeah, right? yeah. If forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who for, who sinned against us, our, our our debtors. That concept is there, and then Jesus says sometimes if you're if you're there before at the altar, you know, yeah. trying to make yourself right with God, and you remember you have something against your brother, yeah. leave it and go make it right. With your, that sort of thing. Perhaps we'll discuss. That's chapter twelve of Deuteronomy. But perhaps we'll discuss that one. Then. Okay, it's a little different, it's a different, little different uh, take. But the whole idea is that Jesus is making a connection between, uh, and, and some people see. I see it a little differently. Let's see if you, if you are with sure. me on this. Oh, sure. Is some people say if you know if you don't forgive your brother, uh-huh. God will not forgive you, and that's kind of a thing. You know that. It's almost a limitation on God. He can't forgive you because you won't. And I, I'm kind of. You don't, I like the, you don't like that, do you? I, I don't like. No, you don't like that. Passages that tend to say yeah. that somehow God is limited. Yeah, because you want God to be a hundred percent forgiving no matter what. And you know what? I'm on your side. Okay, thank you. I was afraid you. Were but I, I kind of am thinking that maybe when we have an attitude of unforgiveness. When we don't forgive someone else that has maybe offended us or done even something wrong to us, when we our attitude of unforgiveness, it's not that it limits God can't forgive us, 
but it means it limits our ability to experience God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is every ready, every present, every always available. But when by our attitude of unforgiveness, we we limit ourselves and our own ability to experience God's forgiveness. I'm guessing. Is that sound anything? Does that? In other words, in the first place, do you understand that? The, the, yes. It's a detail. Yeah. You know, small little. Well, detail. And. While I would use different words, okay. I'm on the same page with you. Is that ten? Okay, that's the way I've kind of come to understand well, those passages. Can I give about you the, what I would consider the concrete example? Okay, sure. all right. You're still going to get forgiven by God, but you know, in the New Testament, it talks about like what the Christians call the second judgment and the crowns, and you know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Okay. okay, so you got all that. Well, I'm going to suggest that is the reward for doing your mitzvahs on earth. Here. Not just good deeds, but God said good deeds, what you shall do, what you shall not do. And and I think that got translated through the Greek and through the Latin, and it comes out crowns is what I think. And so you're still going to get forgiven by God. You're still going to go to heaven, but you're going to get so many crowns if you get good crowns. And the Jews have that kind of concept. It's a little different, but so you understand it's based on your biblically good deeds, not just a good deed. A good deed is a good deed, period. But doing a God-sanctioned good deed is a mitzvah, and that is your crown. You'll be forgiven by God, but you're going to get a crown for this. I think that's what's referring to. Interesting. So we've now slipping, and I don't mean the word slipping badly, but we're kind of moving from the theme of forgiveness kind of a little bit into the theme of rewards uh, i i'm thinking of paul in corinthians when he says that uh, as we minister as in in in, uh, in god's name in the name of christ as we minister to other people and help them we are either going to build a fa- on the foundation of christ we're going to build wood hay and stubble that'll be burned up where does that come from good works where does that come from i'm sure it comes from the old testament. it actually comes from exodus exodus okay uh, oh that makes sense at the time when they were making bricks right there you go uh, or gold and silver and precious stones. And we build, uh, and we kind of enter into the idea of rewards that are going in. We, in, in the New Testament, does talk about crowns. And it talk, I know. And, and Jesus, uh, some people are, are really, Jacob, some people are embarrassed by the idea of rewards. I, I, I've brought it up sometimes with folks in, in, uh, in uh, my congregation that I, that I teach with and so on. And some people, oh, I don't want a reward. I just want, and they. But it seems to me very clearly, God talks about rewards. Mm-hmm. He uses rewards. He wants, and of course, obviously, his intention is to motivate us. So I, I think there is something about rewards that is true, mm-hmm. but a lot of folks don't have a real clear. How does it work? You know, how do I get a reward? How. You know, well, suppose I give you. I what, want all the rewards. I think I, can get, I know, you know. I think I would give you the Jewish answer. The Jewish answer is very clear to the Jews. Well, let's not give it out because we're coming up on a break. Yes, let's use that as a uh, little bit. Well, of a actually, tease. when we come back, I want to talk about a very troublesome verse for you. Oh my lands! Yeah, I was trying gonna, to avoid. You that. are going to be hit with a hard verse. Okay. Time. Well, then I'll, I'll, I'm up to it. You've done a good job tonight. You've been a good boy and. A nice little Jewish boy. You you yeah. really helped us. Yeah. That'll be a dollar ninety five. You helped us, uh, uh, Goya. You helped. Is that right, Goya? Is that Go, right? Goya just means You've somebody. Me oh, it means it's the nation or the somebody other than a Jew. Okay, That's Goya. Okay. Well, now I'm a Jew, so yeah. I'm 
you know, I've been draft, grafted in, so uh, I guess I don't fit that category. Anyway, we're going to do that, folks. We're going to come back. Maybe you have a thought. We're going to talk a little bit about the theme now, kind of drifted in, of rewards uh, and what they mean, how we how we can get them. Uh, C.S. Lewis had something very, very interesting to say about it. Yes, but uh, looking, anybody wants to look this up, it's Jeremiah 29, verse 10. 29. Jeremiah 29, 10. You can look at it, and we'll come back to that theme when we come back right after this break. Don't you, Daryl, go away, all right? This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. What is it? I have faith. Give out the number, Soapy. All right. The phone number is 340-9585. If you'd like to join us. Yeah. Maybe you have a thought about yeah. the uh, passage we're talking yeah. about. We're looking at Jeremiah, and yes, we're kind of wandering a bit, but we're not. We're staying on target. We're Jeremiah. One of the main themes of Jeremiah was this 70 years of exile that he predicted and prophesied, and then Daniel picks up on it. And then we were looking at what Jesus said about 70 times 7, and now we've kind of drifted a little bit into the theme of rewards are rewards spoken of in the tanakh in the whole old testament uh is it yeah, part of but, the well the I, understanding yeah but they're mitzvahs yeah maybe the word mitzvah i know it i understand it's, it's it. what it's what generally is thought of as a good deed but it has to be a good deed that god said do or not do is a mitzvah any way at all related to the word blessing no well, it could be a if blessing. you bless somebody, I guess. But, but I do want to tell deed. you, okay, okay. I, I want to interject this. You have a couple of friends, Lee and Ruth, yep. and they were uh, talking about a movie they're very happy about. And I went and seen the movie. The movie is called, it's still out the theater, and, and I know they would like people to go see it. It's called uh, Remember the Goal. And I went and saw the movie. It's a 100% Christian movie. And G-O-L-D, Remember the Gold, or Remember the Gold, G-O-A-L? A-L. Okay, Remember and, the uh, Gold. Anyway, but I just wanted to mention that because I know they were very pleased with that movie. They saw yeah. it twice. And All right. At their, I was going to say instigation, but at their inspiration, <laughs> I went to see it. Okay. Anyway, so uh, they, uh, they'd like you to go see Good. it. Okay, now I do want to go over to chapter 32 because we're going to, I guess, chapter 33 tonight. And your verse, and this, now I'll give you this. this we're talking about Jeremiah now. Yes, we are. Okay? Uh, yes, I'm ready. Okay, and it says something very interesting, and that's verse uh, 35, right? 32, 35. Would you okay. like to read that? Well, yeah, sure, I've got it right here. I know you do. Uh let me start it a little earlier, if you don't mind, just to give it a context. I, I, what, chapter 6? Uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> Not that early. Let me see. In chapter 32, but let me back up to uh, the start of that paragraph, as at least as it's paragraphed in my, in my uh, Bible here. The sins of Israel and Judah, the sins of the people of Jerusalem, the kings, the officials, the priests, and the prophets have stirred up my anger, God says. My people have turned their backs on me and have refused to return. Even though I diligently taught them, they would not receive instruction or obey. They have set up their abominable idols right in my own temple, defiling it. And then he goes on, he's going to talk about this terrible sin that's kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Are you trying back. to avoid this verse? They have built pagan shrines to Baal, 
Baal in the valley of Ben Hanom. We talked about that valley last week, right outside of Jerusalem. It's a the dump, the the city dump. That yeah, the the same fire dump. Was, it's in the New Testament. Yeah. He said they they built shrines to Baal in the valley of Ben Hanom, and there they sacrifice their sons and daughters to Moloch. As false god, I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to commend such a thing. What an incredible evil causing Judah to sin so greatly. The the killing, the murdering of innocent human life uh, there in taking place. And uh, that they were, uh, and it would just, it, it, it makes me, and I think there is a good comparison and a correlation with the great, great sin of abortion of our era and our time, I, I, I don't see any difference. And I think that uh, a holy God, the the cries of the innocent, the babies who have been sacrificed a million a year now for 50 years or more, uh, the, that calls out to God and their judgment is calling, falling on our land. I, I, I believe that. And I, I, that's. So you somewhat, believe, I get it somewhat from these. You passages. do believe there is some type of judgment for each type of an offense. I, I, I okay, okay. And then you're, about then you're agreeing with what Jeremiah yeah, is we're teaching. We're talking about the temporal God dealing physical. Oh, okay, yes, I suppose. Uh, so. You suppose? I, 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 I think so. I would okay. say. Yeah, do not be God, afraid to be on your side. God deals. Now, I gotta with, tell you something. Sophie. I, I yeah, am not making me nervous. I am not afraid to be on my side. Do not be afraid to be on your side. Okay. All right. I, I'll, I'll stand. Okay. Solidly uh, on. All my, right. Now that's an interesting line because God says, "I never even never in my head to offer my child." Yeah. Oops. Well, it doesn't actually say that, but okay. Well, well, what does it say? It says actually they offered their sons and daughters. Uh huh. And there were two ways they did it. John. He said, like "This it. is something that never even occurred to me to ask you to do this." You know. He said, uh, I, I, "I that would never occur to me to have you do that." Uh-huh. He well, said, uh, and so what we have is the obvious. I never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind yeah. to command such a thing. Yeah, sure. So. And here is the question that can't always comes up in a person of, of like myself. Uh-huh. I say, well, yes. listen, I if it never entered God's mind, how is it that it came into His mind about Jesus? Yeah. Okay. Now you see this. Well, you, we got a line Ruth on line three, but let me tell you real quick. Uh-huh. So what we got here is, and I know you you're going to explain it for us and show us the distinction. But I think so. There is something incredible about this. And I think this is a lesson in the making, because uh, Christian understanding is Good. that Jesus was to be sacrificed, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Now, I'm going to give you a hand before you begin explaining this. Was that the way these people saw those sacrifices of their children when they Yes, when, and when I want to tell you how it's done. Let me tell you a gruesome thing how it's done. It was done one of two ways. The more kind parents, what they did, they adopted the Canaanite religion. By the way, some of those little uh, altars they had where they killed children, some of them still exist. It's Canaanite religion. And what they would do is try to convince the Jews, no, this is how you really get good crops. This is how you have polytheism. There are different gods in charge of different things. Mm. And this is how you do it. And so they were teaching the Jews. And in Deuteronomy, it actually says, do not ask how the other nations worship their gods. So there's a prohibition against even doing the same method of a different nation to worship the God of Israel. Now, Here's the interesting thing. I'm going to give you a quick hand. You're going to love this, okay? You're going to love it. Okay. Um, 
and I'm going to give you a hand on this, and I'm going to see how you can help. All right, all Remember right. Remember in, uh, in Genesis, there is an incident where Abraham takes his son, mm-hmm. Isaac, to the mm-hmm. mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. In the Christian world, that's a lesson, uh, a foreshadowing. I hate that word. But it's a foreshadowing of what we might call yeah, Jesus uh-huh, in the Christian uh-huh. world, right? So if it didn't occur to God's mind, as it says in Jeremiah, how did he tell Abraham to go do this? And I'm giving you a hand. So now why don't you explain never the whole thing? It doesn't mean he's applauding me either, folks. He's giving me a hand. Uh-huh. Um, so you're okay. No, have I stumped you? I, I, not really, I don't think. But uh-huh. jumping back to Abraham and Isaac, uh-huh. where God said, you know, go and take your son and, and uh, a sacrifice. Um uh, I think you've talked to me about this before, and uh-huh. and I, uh, I'm not sure I understood it at the time. But I clearly it was not God's plan for him to do that. There was a test here of Abraham's willingness, or his to remember Isaac as a son of promise to Abraham, uh-huh. and Abraham. We're told later in the New Testament, we're told that Abraham uh, did this believing that. Well, God would raise Isaac from the dead. You know, that was that's at least the conjecture in the New Testament that we're told. Uh, but it it turns out that God never intended that to happen, and He held Abraham's hand. He told him not to do it, and and a, and a ram okay. well, was we found. All, we know so the story, but the point is the conflict. If God said do it, and here He's saying never entered my head, you got to that issue. Human sacrifice, and in then, other words. Well, so what never said was the idea of human yeah, sacrifice. Yeah, well, uh, and just strictly sticking to the comparison. Okay. Human sacrifice, yes. Okay. okay. So he said, never in my head tell you to kill your children. and But it seems something like that. Is that maybe the hook that the... No, no, no. Is that maybe the hook that the Canaanites used to... You're the Christian Baptist minister. You should explain this. Is that maybe the hook that the the Canaanites used uh-huh. to kind no, of lure no, Israel? No, no, no. But then you got Jesus, who is clearly, as the Christians understand it, the Son of so, God. Yeah, the Son uh-huh. of God. And he died mm-hmm. for the sins. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you got these, these incidents going on, but God says in Jeremiah three times. Yeah. It's uh, in chapter 7, chapter 19, chapter 32. I never even entered my head. Well, I would say from the point of view of Jesus, there's a very difference, and I think I mentioned this before somewhere along the line, that uh, Jesus freely gave his life. He wasn't, No one took his life from him. He said, don't you know I could call you know, 10,000 angels and, uh-huh. and they would come and deliver me? So he said, no one takes my life from me. I freely give it. So that, uh-huh. there is a difference in, in the sacrifice of Calvary, uh, the, the willingness as opposed to an innocent child who had no thought or no decision in in the process or anything. Um, And, of course, we're told that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. I mean, this was a lot of of stacked statements. But as it relates to Abraham and as it relates to Abraham and Isaac, that is I've not thought of that before. And that is it seems a little more problematic because it seems a little bit more exact to what what the Israelites were doing, you know, yeah, let's not deal, well, let's not deal in slogans. Sure. Okay. Let's just deal with the issue because what loses people, I think is, is contrite, even humble slogans. Do you want to bring Ruth in? Sure, let's this? talk to Ruth. Maybe Ruth will rescue me. Hi Ruth. How are you tonight? Hi, fine. Thanks. How about you? This is a tough topic, isn't it? 
Well, I don't know. That's how I called in on. Ha, ha, ha. I'm glad you did because uh, it, it, it's not tough in a way that, you know, it, it, it disproves everything or anything. But it's, it's a new line of thought that I can I see uh, God dealing with the people of Israel. And, and this was evidently this was the sin that broke the camel's oh, that's back. That's it. That's it. That was the absolute sin. We're going to see it later next week when we finish Jeremiah. This is the sin that's named when God says, okay, that's it. You guys, you're out of here. Out of the pool. Yeah, everyone you're out. Cooked. It's not going to work. Yeah, yeah, your goose is cooked. So so this was very serious, and, of course, I, I think it has some parallels to our time and the idea of the way we treat uh, innocent human life and so on. But uh, maybe you maybe you're calling about a different thing altogether. But I wouldn't mind your take on on that, on what we're talking about in, in that pa- particular passage as well, Ruth. But what what was on your mind originally as you called in? Well, I was going to invite uh, Lee, my, my husband Lee, and I would like to invite Jim to attend another Christian movie with us tomorrow at three o five at Live Oak Theater. It's called Greater. We haven't seen it, and we don't know anything about the people that made the movie. We've heard it's a fabulous Christian movie. It's, and it's, it's just simply called Greater, huh? Greater is the name of it, and it's referring to an FL. Oh, I'm not even getting this right. NFL. Okay, National Football League. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, the greatest walk-on they've ever had. So that's oh. who it's about. It's based on a true story. A walk-on. A Somebody, uh, if maybe people don't know what a walk-on is. Uh, my son made the, so- the soccer team at Stanford University as a walk-on. Ooh, he was okay. not given a scholarship. He had a scholarship, an academic scholarship, but then he went uh, to the field when they had time for tryouts for the soccer team, and he went as a walk-on. He had not been you know, invited, and he right. won a place on the team there for four years. So well, that was, And that's what this guy That's what a walk-on is, is, yeah. Yep. So 3.05 tomorrow at Live Oak okay. Theater. I yeah. will try to make it if I can. Okay. Well, invite Soapy and all the rest okay. of your Soapy, you have been audience. invited. <laughs> <laughs> he did it, Ruth. Hey. Well, thank you for calling then, in. I, well, I don't know if you welcome. want to take a, a shot at this other theme or not, but well, if not. From what I heard, it just sounds like a bunch of abortion to me. All right. That, that, that's kind of. By the way, I'm going to give her credit. I know, obviously, I know who they are. Uh-huh. And uh, i got to say, she has said a phrase that. Uh, got my attention a, a year two years ago and i will tell you what she said and she said and it really grabbed me she said that everything has become so sexualized among the kids the young boys the young girls they don't know how to be friends they think it means homosexuality what a thought yeah. and she's the one that said that and she and it's, and i thought wow that is such a powerful thought because I realized people don't know how to be friends, boys and don't be friends with the male, other friends, or girls with girls. And it looks like it's supposed to be sexual now. And when she said that, I mean, that really mm. struck me, and that phrase has st- stuck with me. Good for Ruth. I mean, that is a, that is a great insight. It, I, I agree. I, I Just hearing it now, I think, wow, I'm going to have to ponder that a little bit more and, and get it. I do appreciate very much Ruth calling in and being a part of the program tonight and well, let me, let the me invite just, to the movie. Okay, let, me, let me just tell you, okay, let Again, before we get to understanding this, um, okay, back in Genesis, Abraham, if you look closely at the words, mm-hmm. well, we know the uh, ultimate event is God intervenes and says, no, 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 I didn't want you to do that. And there's this thing I just want to test you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's a, remember, there's a sword hanging over 
Isaac's head. Aha. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Is that, remember that? He's going to plunge him. And, uh, oh, oh, okay, yeah. okay, sure. And it's, uh, by the way, that sword, you're not going to believe this, but you're going to love it. Is that the same sword that David used to cut No, off no, it's better than that, better than that. That sword, it's a malacha. But don't worry about that. It's the same word that makes up the word Bethlehem. Ooh, oh, okay. don't you love that? Sure, How about you that? Do. sure do. Yeah, I know you love that. That's something to do with anyway, city of bread. Right? But now let's look at the picture. He takes him up there, and it does say he tells the people, uh, his, his guys that go with him. He says, "You, you guys stay here with the donkeys. We'll be the lad and I will be back. The boy and I'll be back." So he knows he's bringing him back. It actually says that. So. He knows he's bringing him back, but when he goes up there, what is the picture teaching to the Jewish frame of reference? Is that you never, ever, ever kill a child to handle your sins. Never. And because, but, now let's take it one step further. Ever, at that point, every Jew that was ever going to live is contained in the body of Isaac. Mm-hmm. Right? You That's true. That's exactly yeah. right. But what's hanging over his head is a knife. In other words, there, the world will always try to have a knife to put into Israel, but God's not going to let it happen. Oh, I love it. And if you now I'm going to tell you something. Here's one of the answers. If you go back and you look at that story in Genesis, it doesn't say go up and kill him. Some of the bad translations say go sacrifice mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. And I, I, this I agree with. I, I remember and what when it you says go into is, the language. It says raise him up on the mountain. In other words... Teach him right from wrong. Raise him as a sacrifice. And someplace in the New Testament, Paul uses that phrase. I don't remember where. And he says, live your life as a living sacrifice. That's the story Paul's referring to, is that Isaac was supposed to live his life as a sacrifice, not die. Now, understanding that, we come over here to Jeremiah. It says, I never thought about that. And by the way, you're right. Next week when we finish Jeremiah, we're actually going to read this passage that says that you're 100% right. The final sin that broke the camel's back, if you will, is uh, the killing of children. Uh-huh. What caused the Canaanites to get kicked out? If you go back and study the, the, uh, the Old Testament, you'll find that the things that God says the Canaanites have to get out of the land of Israel, because why? They have contaminated the land with the sacrifice of their children. Mm-hmm. That sin is the ultimate one. The blood that's, of the innocents. Yes, it that's what he says. And now they were trying to teach the Jews to worship God. And in Deuteronomy, it says this. It says, you shall not worship me, God, not me, but God, um, Using the practices and the methods of other nations. So not just having a false god, but using theirs, but converting it to the god is is something wrong with this. So you can't just make up your own. So that's fascinating. I want to tell you a look at how this burning of the children took place. It took place one of two ways. Sorry for the, but it's it happened. It's life. Some of the more humane parents... And they, some of these little altars still exist, by the way. They would slice the children's throat and let them bleed so they wouldn't feel the pain. Then burn them to a crisp. Some of them would just burn them. And either way they did that, that's a horrible. It, it, it's obscene and it's so far beyond worshiping God. You wonder, how does anybody ever get to the point that they want to kill a child to get to heaven? 
to get their sins forgiven. And I'm going to point out something to you. This is the distinction between the Jewish God, which is also the Christian God, mm-hmm. and other gods or polytheism, even the God of Islam. And I can prove, by the way, that Islamic God is not the God of the Christians and the Jews because even uh, Elijah, Mount Carmel, he says, how long will you jump between two opinions? He said, and he said, and then when they went back to build the second temple, remember? Mm-hmm. And they came to help? What does Ezra say? And, Je- and Nehemiah said, no, no, you guys can't even help us build it. You have nothing with us. Mm-hmm. And those are the bad guys that have other religions. So it can't, they can't. There's a total distinction between their God and the God of Israel, which is the God of the yeah. Christians. So. And you can tell by the fruit of the tree, you might say, do you cut off somebody's hand when they steal or do they pay it back? What is justice? But So we know it's something different. But what you got here, it says, look, you've been teaching the Jews, in this case, Jeremiah's talking about, is to do this religion. That has nothing to do with me. And even if you say it's about me, what you're really teaching is polytheism. Do you know why? polytheism is different than monotheism. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you in a real quick nutshell. Remember when they said in Matthew 22 where they asked Jesus, what's the greatest line? And he says, oh, well, that's a love the Lord you got with all your heart, soul, and mind. And your neighbor is yourself. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it's like it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you're learning from God. Now, why would he say that? It's because, you see, the line before it says the Shema, which is, listen, Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord is one. Just one God. And you're supposed to love him. Now, why is that important? And why is that the keystone of monotheism of the Christian and the Jew, as opposed to polytheism? It's because in polytheism, if I'm a sailor, if I'm a uh, a farmer, and I need rain, I go to the rain god, and I go to that one out of fear. I'm trying to bribe him. I'm trying to coerce him. I'm trying to plead with him. And that's not love, that's fear. I need something, I need rain, I need a calm sea. But if I just have one God, and no matter what happens, he's the creator of everything, and I'm just loving him, then what happens is you love one God. And if I have polytheism, I never love a God. I only do to those gods when I need something or I'm in great fear. That's why... The uh, Roman soldiers had a god of war, and they had different gods. Ares, Mars, sure. uh, so and, and, of course, the Greek gods and the sure. Babylonian gods, they were all polytheists in that sense. And I will say this. That and maybe the Canaanites you're talking about the sure. same way, right? So when, it, when Abraham and Isaac, the story is you don't kill, and certainly there will be always be a sword hanging over the Jews, but God's not going to let it happen because every Jew that ever existed was at that time in the body of Isaac. But As was the Messiah, by the way. He was Jew, right? Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, anyway, so, but the point Born is... Born in Bethlehem. He says, raise... And, and the sword comes from the same word. Isn't that interesting yes, in it Hebrew? Is. It is. Did you ever hear that before? No, I had not. Well, I'm glad I shared. Yep. Anyway, but the point is, is that uh, it says, raise him up. And we know that Abraham knew he's going to live because Abraham says to the guys with him, you wait here with the donkeys. Me and the boy are going to come back. So he knew he's coming back. But so you've got to understand what's going on. So if that's the case, how is Jeremiah saying in chapter 7, chapter 19, chapter 32? I never had my, and there's never my idea. That God, yeah. it's not I, Jeremiah, I he's saying, that. God saying, yeah. that was never in my never, mind. I never, I never would have occurred child. to me to think yeah. that. 
Uh, the other th- another thought that came to me as you were describing the situation with Abraham is that remember that Abraham at that time was very advanced in age, and Isaiah, I, I mean, not Isaiah, Isaac would have been, what, 13 to 15? I mean, he would have been in the prime. There was no way in the world unless he willingly, I suppose, got up there and laid down and let his father. Uh, I mean, I've always thought of that because, uh, like I said, Abraham is very advanced in age, and here's this teenage actually, boy allowing. Actually, Isaac was a full-grown man. He was not a little boy. Okay. And he could have physically overpowered him in a minute. Yeah. This was a case of actual cooperation and submission. Yeah, It's a submission to God. And when the Jews understood they submitted to God to carry the Torah to the whole world, and what you would say, of course, ultimately the Messiah, as you would say, uh-huh. They, for that, will have a sword over their head. Well, see, I, as you know, uh, and I never miss an opportunity to say this, uh, you look at that as a Jewish person, as uh, Israeli, or, you know, Israel, uh, I think it, re- it talks to all of us, right. all of God's people. I use the phrase God's people to mean Israel. Uh, and that I think there's a, oh, we have got the same command yeah. as believers today. Yes. You know, Jesus said, go into all the world, all the nations, all the yes. people groups, make disciples, yes. take this word to all the nations. So we've, we've got the same command, the same uh, responsibility before our God as Israel had. We're, we carry that same mandate now. So, uh, how much yeah, time we, we, we? we've got about three. Uh, oh, we got, we're just about. How much time we got? So. I don't know. Uh, okay. I think we're at two minutes. Okay. Well, let me tell you something real quick. Tur- next week we'll finish Jeremiah. Yes. And I want to deal and answer the question. This is the hook. Why God's never entered my mind and what the next verse is and the chapter is. And it comes up later at the end of Jeremiah. And, by the way, Jeremiah gives us a different alphabet in the end of Jeremiah that no that most people have never translated or read or don't know how. And I'll show you where it's at. He said it teaches us another alphabet. Remember, always be the kind of parent you would like to have. All right. The Bible Live. See you next Sunday. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.